Well, what a joy it is to be with you here uh, this morning. I've heard so much about the branch uh, over the years. Uh, this is my first time here. So, so what a joy, again, to be together. Uh, I bring you greetings from Henson Baptist Church. Uh, all the saints there are excited for this transition, for, for Doug being here. Uh, we're praying for you. And we look, we're looking forward to seeing what God will do. You know, there, there are a lot of connections between Henson Baptist Church and the branch here. You know, we send you our high school graduates <laughs> as they come here for college. And you send us your college graduates. <laughs> so it looks like we're getting the better than, end of the deal. Um, no, we, we really do see you guys as a sister church, you know, just, a, just an hour and a half away. Uh, and grateful for how you guys are laboring here in this area to, to, to bring the gospel. Uh, you know, no, no one church can fulfill the Great Commission. And we're grateful for the partnership with many gospel preaching churches all throughout the Northwest. And we're grateful for you guys. And, and now Doug Payne is here. What a joy uh, to, to be here with you this morning. You know, it's a privilege to be a part of this installation service. It's just such a funny term, installation service. Uh, it sounds like something you do with, like, I Ikea furniture. Um, what, what is an installation service? Well, you know, up to this point, you've heard Doug preach. You've extended a call for him to come serve as your pastor. Uh, and Doug has accepted that call. Uh, and now this morning, we have a chance to make it all official, right? In, in just a bit, Doug will take his vows before the congregation. And you guys will affirm your vows to him. It's kind of like a wedding, isn't it? Which is why I'm dressed up like this. Um, but, you know, you guys are engaged. And today... Doug will be taking his vows and installed as one of the pastors, one of the elders of this church with a particular responsibility to preach and to lead. And it's important in these moments for us to kind of pause and think about what this means, right? What is it that Doug is committing to? What is it that we as a church are committing to? And that's what I want us to think about. And to help us do that, I want us to look at Paul's farewell sermon or, or speech that he gives to the elders in Ephesus. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Acts 20, beginning in verse 17. Let me set the context. Uh, Paul has been, has served for three years in Ephesus uh, and through his ministry there, a church has been planted. Uh, and, and there was a congregation of believers there. Now there are elders appointed to teach and to lead and care for that congregation. And now Paul is headed back to Jerusalem. He has traveled all over Asia visiting the various churches he has planted. Now he's headed back to Jerusalem. And on his way back, he stops by Ephesus to check in on this church. He knows that persecution and imprisonment await him in Jerusalem. Uh, he doesn't know if he'll ever be back this way. And so at the port town of Miletus, about 50 miles from Ephesus, uh, Paul sends for the elders of the church of Ephesus. And it looks like the elders arrive just in time to see him off. Uh, and here, in Acts 20, starting in verse 17, we hear Paul's final charge to these elders. So, so let me read this for us. Acts 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus... And called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Well, Doug, here we are at the beginning of your ministry, Lord willing, here at the branch, uh, hopefully for many years. Uh, but it's helpful for us to hear Paul's sort of final speech to his elders uh, at Ephesus. Because, you know, as excited as we are about this day, uh, you're not going to serve at the branch forever, right? You are actually not the head shepherd of this church. Uh, you are an under-shepherd, uh, as are all the other elders here. And the day will come when, just like Paul, your stewardship will come to an end. And you will, Lord willing, hand off the church to another faithful under-shepherd. And so your goal here is to serve in such a way that you are able to say what Paul says here when that time comes. Uh, if you're taking notes, I've got four kind of charges to give to you, Doug, but also to, to the other elders of this church. Um, and this applies not only to them, but even to the whole church. Four, four charges. Number one, preach the gospel. Number two, watch your life. Number three, feed the sheep. And number four, protect the flock. All right, I'll go through those again as I go through the sermon. And, and church, in light of Paul's example of a faithful ministry, you also have a role to play in all this. Uh, Doug cannot fulfill this ministry alone. 
And so as we consider this pastor's farewell sermon, may God strengthen all of you to fulfill your calling. All right, so number one, preach the gospel. You know, we see this particularly in verses 18 through 24, where Paul describes all that he did among the Ephesians. You know, here is the foundation of Paul's ministry. This is how the church was planted. And right away, we see Paul's humble ministry among them. <clears throat> he came in as a preacher of the gospel. He didn't show up like some, you know, celebrity preacher or, or philosopher, you know, riding a limo, staying at a five-star hotel. No, he lived among them from the first day he arrived. And he was with them <clears throat> so that they could see his life and see his example. He served them humbly, giving his time, his energy, his tears. Uh, they, they saw him risk his own life in order to serve them. And, and why did he do all of that? What was his mission? We see that there in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. The, the, the aim of Paul's ministry is to teach God's word, to explain it, to apply it, to make it known so that they might repent of their sins and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this was Paul's apostolic ministry, a, a life poured out in service of this one goal, right? Making the gospel of Christ known so that all might respond in repentance and faith. And this is what Paul gives to himself for three years, right? This is a long ministry as far as Paul's concerned. He's not just sort of kind of driving by. He's not just an open-air preacher or, you know, a, a conference speaker who, who leaves like after a week. No, for three years he, he preaches in public and private from house to house. He proclaims the gospel of Christ for whoever is going to come and hear. And, and then after that he goes house to house as people respond. He, he helps them he helps answer their questions, counter their objections, opening up the scriptures, walking with them through God's word to explain the gospel, showing how Jesus is the promised Messiah. This is the message that Paul gave his life to declaring among the Ephesians. Uh, this is the message that Paul proclaims from beginning to end. Uh, that's the mission, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, Doug, you want to be a faithful pastor, right? Preach the gospel. Preach it during times when things are going well, you know, in seasons of growth and success and health. Preach it when things are hard, you know, in times of adversity and discouragement, sorrow, persecution. Tell people about Jesus. Do the work of, the, of an evangelist. You know, the gospel is at the foundation of this the flourishing of the church. You know, which means you need to do that faithfully, not only at the start of the ministry when people are excited to hear you preach, you know, early on, but then five years in, 10 years in, 15, 20, keep preaching that same gospel. All right, keep mining new insights from God's word, bringing fresh applications of the gospel, preaching it with urgency. Because this is how people get saved. This is how the church is built up. You know, church, this is the, what we see uh, in Paul's example, uh, how a church begins, how our church continues. It's, it's through the preaching of this message of what Jesus Christ has done. Uh, I trust that Doug is committed to this, but I pray that you guys are committed to this too. You know, it, what this means really is that Doug only has one sermon. Um, I, I don't mean that you're literally going to hear the same sermon week after week. But it is true that week after week, the crux, the heart 
of what Doug wants to communicate to you is the gospel of the grace of God, as Paul says here. Uh, whether it's an expositional sermon from, from Genesis or Mark or Obadiah or the Psalms, or whether it's a topical sermon on marriage or, or money or race or whatever, his call is to repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's what he's aiming at in all these sermons. And that is exactly what you need week after week. Uh, every other message in this world is about how you can make yourself right before God. But only in the gospel we hear this message that God has sent us a Savior and has ac accomplished the righteousness that we need to be accepted by him. If that's what you're here for, then you've come to the right place to hear that message of the gospel. What, what is the gospel? I've been saying this a lot. What is it? You know, you might be someone who has been coming along the church for a long time now. You've built friendships here. Uh, you're involved in activities. I want to be clear, though. No amount of religious involvement can save you. Right? Being a part of a church can't save you. Uh, being a part of a small group and being involved in ministries, those things cannot save you. Those things do not make you right with God. Your only hope in this world is God's grace, God's mercy towards you. No, no matter if you're a long-time comer or a first-time visitor, your only hope for salvation is the gospel of grace. Here's the problem. We all have rebelled against God, the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who reigns over us, we've rejected him. We've gone our own way. We've, we've trusted in ourselves rather than submitted ourselves to him. This is what the Bible calls sin. And for our sin, we deserve God's just wrath. You know, all of your attempts at self-righteousness, at cleaning yourself up before God, you know, far from being something that commends you to God, they are an insult to God's righteousness. They're an insult to his holiness. You know, it's as if somebody stole all your life's savings, all your retirement, and embezzled all your money, and then he comes up to you and says, hey, sorry, man, I'll, I'll buy you lunch and we'll call it even. Is that okay? Right? No. No, we, we can't do that. We can't save ourselves. You know, for all of us who have dared to sin against God, justice has to be paid. God will not sweep it under the rug. He will have his vindication. But incredibly, Here's where the good news comes in. In his mercy, God sent his son into this world, not as a judge, but as a savior. Here, here's what we see uh, in, in Paul's life as a reflection in his sacrificial ministry. This is what Jesus came to do, to sacrifice himself. Jesus comes uh, taking on our humanity uh, in the form of a servant, teaching and proclaiming the good kingdom living among the people, loving them, serving them, spending himself for their good. And then he heads towards Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, he lays his life down on the cross as a sacrifice, as a substitute, bearing God's wrath against our sin. And doing so, he exhausts it. He quenches it. So that on the third day, having died for our sins, God raises him from the dead as proof that his sacrifice is now accepted by God. And now for all those who will repent of their sins and trust in Christ, they will be forgiven. They will be reconciled to God. Friends, this is how you can be saved. No matter who you are, and I really mean that, no matter what you have done, where you have come from, by faith in Christ, you can be saved from your sin and from, your wrath, from the wrath of God. Not, not by anything you've done, but by faith 
in what Christ has done. So place your hope in him today. And if you have any questions about what that means, you know, I would love to talk to you after the service. I know many of those sitting here around you would love to talk with you after the service. This is what Paul has given himself to preaching uh, all his life, uh, and, and particularly among the Ephesians. This is what the ministry of the church is built on. And then, starting in verse 25, he turns to the elders, and he calls them to continue on this work. And to these elders, to these pastors, these overseers, Paul, Paul tells them, second, not only preach the gospel, but second, watch your life. Watch your life. Verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves, right? Apparently, being an elder isn't just a, a nine-to-five job. You, you preach the gospel, you act really holy in front of people, and then you go home, and you can live however you want. No, that's not it. You know, rather, to be a pastor means that you faithfully lead God's people. It, it really means it requires you to consecrate your entire life to that work. Uh, because, actually, that's true for all Christians, isn't it? We don't just live as Christians when we're out in public. No, we, we follow Jesus in every sphere of our lives. And so should it be for every pastor, for every elder. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Allow this gospel that you preach to shape your entire life, to, to, to shape what you do in private, to shape how you care for your families, to, care, to, go, to shape how you go about your work. Uh, elders are to be men who believe and who stake their lives on this gospel. In other words, they have to watch their lives. So, Doug, even as you preach the gospel to others, first and foremost, preach it to yourself, brother, right? As pastors, how tempted we are to find our justification, our righteousness in all kinds of other things than in Christ. We look for it in the size of, of the church, in the health of the church, in, in how well the church is doing financially, um, in our accomplishments. You know, no matter how successful you become, successful you become in ministry, um, these things will not make you any more righteous before a holy God. No, but through faith in Christ, you are blameless. You are accepted by God. You are loved by God. And your only hope is Christ before God. And yet in Christ, oh, what a glorious hope you have. The riches of his grace. God loves you. God accepts you. And he has given you the privilege of serving his people. So, so rest in that. You know, for Paul, it was the knowledge that God had saved him that enabled him to love the Ephesians in this way. You know, we read there in the end of how he worked sacrificially with his own hands. He didn't take their money. But he, he worked so that he could preach the gospel freely. Where did that come from? Well, that came from his knowledge of knowing how God had loved him. Uh, you know, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, that's what Christ did for him. Christ gave richly to him. Therefore, Paul says, watch your life. Make sure you're holding on to the gospel. You know, amid busyness, stress, pressures, don't let pastoral work substitute for your own communion with Christ. Right? Carve out time to pray. Depend on God in all things. You know, open up your life to, you, to the other elders. Let them shepherd you. Uh, you're a pastor, but you need them, you need this church as much as they need you. So I pray that your time here will be marked by your own personal spiritual growth. And, and for church, you, you've got a role to play in this too, right? Support your pastors. Even as you are fed by them and encouraged by them, 
you also play a role in encouraging them and, and speaking to them the hope and, 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 the, and the encouragement of the gospel. Uh, love their families well. You know, Paul here talks about money. Let me say this. Provide for your pastors generously. Right? Encourage them in that. Paul says that as a missionary, he didn't take any money uh, because he wanted to preach the gospel freely. And that's exactly right. You support missionaries, and they go out to preach the gospel, and they don't charge people to hear them preach the gospel. No, you support them to make that possible. But when it comes to your pastors, Paul tells churches to be generous in supporting your pastors, uh, particularly those who are set aside to labor in the word. Uh, you know, you see what's going on here. Uh, as you give to the ministry of this church, you ensure that here on, on Second Street, here at this theater, that the gospel rings out week after week, right? This ministry is not supported by some, you know, denominational office or some, uh, some federal grant. No, this, the, the, the preaching of the gospel from this location exists because this church gives to that work. And you ensure that that happens. You take responsibility and ownership for it. So, so give. So, so, so give with a vision for the gospel going out here in Corvallis and around the world. Come alongside your pastors. Encourage them. Support them. Number three, third charge, feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Uh, verse 28, they are to, to care for, literally to shepherd the church of God. Right? That's what Paul tells them to do in verse 28. Now, what does that mean, to care for or to shepherd the church of God? Well, it means teaching God's word. It means feeding the sheep. Uh, this is why Paul says in verse 27 that he didn't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Paul didn't withhold anything from God's word for them. Uh, this is why in verse 32, Paul commends them to God and to the word of his grace, right, which is able to build you up. You, 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 you feed God's sheep as you give them God's word. And not only give them God's word, but as you pray for them, right? Paul commends them to God. God alone can do this work to build up the church. So feeding God's word, the ministry of word, and prayer, right? Doug, your job is to care for the sheep through the word. You're going to want to teach your people to love God's word, to love theology, to, to be students of his word. Because it's as you feed them God's word that they are strengthened and equipped and built up to handle God's word for themselves. You know, th this is what it means for the church to be built up. The goal is not to make the church dependent on you. You know, good shepherds lead their sheep to green pastures so that they can feed, so they can roam and graze on God's word themselves. You know, bad shepherds cage up the sheep and only give them food once in a while. So, so don't cage up your sheep. We want free-range sheep, right, here in the Northwest. We don't want caged sheep. Um, teach them God's word in such a way that they are equipped and built up to handle God's word, to feed themselves. And so that as you shepherd them, they can also shepherd one another. Uh, this is where all the ministries of the church can be so helpful, right? Small groups, counseling, men's and women's ministries, and everything else. That as, the shep as the sheep are fed and built up, they then can feed one another and shepherd one another. But also, don't forget to pray. Pray for your sheep. Pray that they'll persevere. Pray that God's word would land on soft hearts. Uh, pray for the Spirit's work in this congregation. Uh, this, is, this is like right at the top of your job description, to pray for these people regularly. Devote yourself to the ministry of the word, 
into prayer. This is how the sheep are cared for. And church, this is what you should expect from your pastors, from all of your elders. You know, not merely somebody who's going to be your best friend, uh, someone to hang out with, someone to, to go to your graduation. Those are, those are fine things, of course. But, but this is the main job description, the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, preparing excellent gospel-rich sermons, organizing other avenues for God's word to be taught and for the people to be equipped with God's word, cultivating a culture of discipleship in the church where people are engaging in each other's lives with God's word. That's what your elders are to be about. So encourage them in that work. Uh, free them up for that work. Uh, let them give themselves to that work. Which means you have a crucial role to play in all of this. As you sit under the ministry of the word, God is equipping you to minister God's word also. Uh, here is where the deacons, the small group leaders, and every member of the church has a crucial role to play in the work of this church. Right? In visiting the sick, in encouraging the weak, in walking alongside those who are grieving, in caring for one another, in sharing the gospel out in the communities, uh, in discipling new believers, and so on. You know, Doug will do all of that, but he's just one man. He can't do it all. You know, he needs the whole church to come alongside him and do that work. And, and let me add this. One of the most important things you guys can do as a church is also to pray. You've got to pray. Pray for the ministry of the word here uh, at the branch. You know, there, there are a lot of solid, faithful gospel preachers all throughout the Pacific Northwest. And yet as I go up and down the Northwest, I find that a lot of their churches are small and struggling. Do you know why? I think the reason why is because these congregations don't pray. Th these churches struggle not because the pastor isn't doing a faithful job in preaching the gospel. He is. But they struggle because the congregation isn't praying for the, for the preaching of the word. Praying for the Spirit's work. You know, they think that ministry is more like a machine where as long as you run the machinery, as you, you run the programs, it all just kind of works in the end. No, the church is not a, a machine. The church is a living organism. And, and, and its power comes from God by the Spirit. So if you, want, if you want this church to grow, if you want this church to be healthy, if you want your pastors to preach excellent sermons that, that grip people's heart, if you want the lost to be saved, you've got to give yourselves to prayer, to, to, to praying and asking God to, to be at work here in your midst. Get together as a church regularly to pray and to plead for God to pour out His Spirit, for God to attend to the preaching of the Word with power. You have to pray. You have to come alongside your pastors in prayer. Number four, finally, protect the flock. <clears throat> this is throughout the passage. You know, Paul says it right there specifically in verses 29 to 31, that fierce wolves will come in among you. Paul here is referring to false teachers. But even when he was talking about his own ministry, he talked about the afflictions that came upon him, those who opposed him. Um, there are always going to be false teachers in the church. There's always going to be opposition. There are always going to be those who are seeking to divide the flock. You know, people sometimes think of the early church as some golden age of Christianity where everything was like perfect. <laughs> and yet when we see in the New Testament, when we read in the New Testament, the apostles were constantly on guard against false teachers, against wolves, against division. Um, whether it's the false teachers in Corinth who appealed to, to, to the people's pride and, and triumphalism, 
whether it's the Judaizers in Galatia who are trying to bring the people back to the Mosaic law. You know, uh, false teachers are always around in every age of the church. Uh, and they cause havoc. They take advantage of the flock. They, they ravage the flock, rob them spiritually and financially and, and everything else. And, and that's true even today, right? We, uh, even today, um, there are wolves. Uh, and, and, you know, we can think of some obvious ones. You know, we can think of the cults uh, that are out there. Think of, you know, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Mormonism. Uh, maybe a little bit less obvious, but still we, we kind of have our ears up towards, you know, those who preach a prosperity gospel, who, who tell them to give their money so that God will love you more. Right? We, we see, okay, 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 that's false teaching. That's not the gospel. Um, but I think increasingly these days, false teaching is, you know, mixed with so much good, so much truth. Uh, and yet, um, there are false teachers out there who are bringing in the world's values, who are bringing in the world's moralism into the church. Um, <clears throat> I don't know the exact challenges you guys face here in Corvallis, but rest assured, uh, you guys are hearing all kinds of mixed messages all the time. And as pastors, as elders, it is your job to make sure that God's word is preached clearly and purely and faithfully, guarding this flock from those errors. Um, it's your job as pastors and elders to protect against wolves. It's not enough simply to preach the gospel kind of positively, but you also need to expose and tear down falsehood when you encounter it. You know, don't, don't be afraid to call out evil and error and sin. It's your job to warn your congregation. So church, you, you need to listen to your pastors when it comes to these things. Uh, are you someone who is willing to listen to the counsel of others? Uh, this is the gift that your pastors are to you. You've heard their preaching. You know their life. You trust them. Uh, listen to them. If they warn you against false teaching, pay attention to what they're saying. Consider it. Uh, they love you, and they have a call, particular calling from God to protect the flock. Don't take that for granted. You know, but pastors are also to be on guard, not simply from those speaking, you know, wrong things from the outside, the wolves. But Paul says here, there's even going to be those who arise from the inside, right, speaking twisted things, he says. There will be those who arise from among your own selves, he says. You know, perhaps they will even arise from some of these elders that he was speaking to at that moment. Paul knew the heartache of what it was like to have some of his associates to turn their backs on Christ. Uh, if you've lived in the church for some time, you know that this happens. People turn their backs on the faith, reject the gospel. You know, what's especially painful is when that happens from those people that we know and love, those people that we thought were with us in the battle, and yet now they are speaking twisted things. They're dividing the church and they're walking away. So pastors, elders, pay attention to all the flock. Don't stop admonishing those who are going astray. And do it the way Paul did. Do it with tears, right? Not with a whip, not with manipulation or coercion. No, do it with love, weeping for their souls. Even as you rebuke and admonish, do so with tears, calling them back to Christ. Church, even as you hear this, realize that the greatest danger in your life is not necessarily false teaching from the outside, but the indwelling sin that exists in your own heart. 
but God in his love for you has gifted these shepherds to care for your soul. The writer of Hebrews writes this, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Submit to them as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, part of obeying and submitting yourself to these pastors is by submitting yourself to the church and to the care of the elders, uh, by joining the church. You know, Paul doesn't tell these shepherds to, to shepherd all the Christians in the Roman Empire. No, they are to shepherd this particular flock that, that they are entrusted with. These are the ones before God that they will have to give an account for. So if you're coming here, don't just sort of drift in and out. No, if you want to be cared for by these shepherds, commit yourselves to this church. Uh, be willing to be known. Um, if that means going through a membership process where the elders hear your testimony and you express your commitment, then great, you should do that. Uh, if that means joining a small group, you know, participating in some course, then great, you should do that. You know, whatever it is, commit yourself to being here, to coming under the care and the discipline of this church. Pastors, elders of the branch protecting the church will inevitably mean sacrifice. I don't know if you caught that theme as we read Paul's uh, speech here. The, the, the theme of sacrifice is throughout in his own ministry when he was there uh, and certainly in his charge to, to those pastors. You know, shepherds have to fight wolves and bears and lions. And, you know, inevitably, those shepherds will get injured, uh, may lose a limb, and maybe get even killed. You know, that's part of the job description, to protect the flock. Uh, I once read the story of, uh, I don't even know how to say his name, Arnold von Winkelred. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, a Swiss fighter. Uh, the Swiss army was fighting the Austrians. The Austrians were better equipped. They had better weapons, better armor, more organized, better strategy. Uh, the Swiss soldiers were kind of scattered, you know, with pitchforks and, you know, whatever they could find. Uh, the Austrians stood in a line, shoulder to shoulder, with their spears, forming a, a wall of spears, a phalanx that was impenetrable. And as they advanced on the Swiss, they just mowed them down. They, they couldn't break through that wall. But Arnold saw what was happening, saw his own fellow soldiers scattered. And he thought, I need to do, there's only one thing to do here. He rushed the line, sacrificed himself, bar buried as many spears as he could into his chest and broke through that line. And his comrades, seeing what he had done, seeing the gap that he had formed, unified and surged through that gap and defended their country and saved their families, saved their lives. Um, I think in many ways that's a picture of pastoral ministry. I think in many ways that's a picture of Christ, isn't it? We were once scattered. We were once helpless. And yet Christ sacrificed himself, bearing our wrath, offering his life. And as we see Christ doing that, we are unified. We love him. We think, yes, I want to follow him. And as pastors, I think that's our calling, to, to imitate Christ, to bury as many spears as we can into our chests 
to offer our lives for our people. Because as we do so, as we, as we model Christ's sacrificial love, God's people are unified. And God's people join us in that fight for the gospel. Uh, and, and the flock is preserved. And the gospel goes out. I pray that God would make you faithful, Doug, in this ministry. That you would lay your life down for these people. In 1529, Martin Luther wrote a catechism to these German pastors to equip them uh, to teach their people God's word. And he concludes the catechism with this charge to those pastors. And this is how I'll conclude also. He writes this, Therefore, pastors and preachers, take note. Our office has now become a completely different one than it was under the Pope. It has now become serious and salutary. Thus, it now involves much toil and work, many dangers and attacks, and in addition, little reward or gratitude in the world. But Christ himself will be our reward so long as we labor faithfully. May the Father of all grace grant it, to whom be praise and thanks in eternity through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray together.